The Tree of Tremendousness by Thomas Jackson Chapter 1 Me and My Mum Episode 1 Good night, Mr Honey While my mother was working in the kitchen, or sitting with me in the garden, or walking with me by the river, the boundary of our kingdom, I would frequently engage her in wide-ranging metaphysical speculations. It's a sound like our electric light in the living room. Mm, sort of, dear. Can you switch it on and off? God can. Why has God not switched it on today? We need the rain, sweetheart. Tell God switch it on. We can go and go on and play. Oh, tell him. No, you tell him. No, you tell him. God listens to children. Please, God, tell naughty Mrs. Sun come out so we can go and go on and play. The rain's lovely, darling. Lovely, lovely rain. Lovely, lovely rain. Lovely, lovely rain. Lovely, lovely rain. Mr. Sun will come out when he's ready. Had God switched him on yet? He will. When Mr. Sun wants to come out, I don't mind. I love a rain. The sun to swell the harvest. And sweet refreshing rain. Sweet refreshing rain. The sun to swell the harvest. And sweet refreshing rain. Sweet refreshing rain. I don't really mind. But the sun has not yet come out. But as the rain pours down, I am dancing to stately music with the beautiful, beautiful rain goddess deep in the forest glade. The rain pours down upon us in refreshing fountains and pure transparent streams. Rain, rain, I love you, rain, I love you, I love you, sweet refreshing rain. Oh, bliss, the warmth of her love pours down on me like sun and like rain. She is all beautiful, all wise, all wonderful. She is goddess of the universe. She knows all times and places and the dances of the atoms and the rollings of the planets. She knows the secrets of universal order. She knows the best time to ask God to switch on Mr. Sun, a time for sun and a time for rain. Peace and relief and contentment seep into my bones and into every cell and atom of my being. I have no need to worry about earthquakes and hurricanes and a catastrophic disordering of the seasons. For she knows the secrets of universal order. The rain pours down in the magic glade, transparent and pure and clear, and ever more invigorating and refreshing are its showers. The rain dance goes faster and faster. Rain, 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 bliss, 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 sweet refreshing rain, sweet refreshing rain, 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 bliss, bliss, sweet refreshing rain, 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 Oh, a day's the windows. A day's the windows? Yeah, a day's the windows. Hmm, not sure about that, darling. It's a roof of sky. Yes, now there you are, right. The roof's the sky. Can you climb upstairs all way to sky? Hmm, not usually, sweetheart. Only when we go to heaven. Do doggies go to heaven? For some time now, I've been concerned with the theological problem of whether the doggies, as well as ourselves, will share the eternal mansions. Heaven without the doggies would be but a poor do. Doggies go to heaven, darling, with an H. Yeah, but do they? Oh, yes, darling, I'm sure they do. Oh, waves of relief. Roma dicta est. Good, good. I want doggies in Devon. Doggies go to Devon. Doggies go to Devon. Hey, 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 doggies go to Devon. Doggies go to Devon. Doggies go to Devon. Doggies go to Devon. Hey, 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 doggies go to Devon. Grave matrons, 
taking their double cream tea to Norfolk, Harris schoolmasters on holiday, listening to the bands on the promenades, rolling all sorts off the navy ships in Plymouth, bank managers relaxing among the potted palms and fuchsias in talky hotels, all, all drop everything and leap up at once, cavorting and shouting wildly as they join in this ecstatic hymn to celebrate the apotheosis of the doggies. Doggies go to them, doggies go to them, hey, 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 doggies go to them. Are the magic islands in sky? Yes, buttercup, of course there are. I won't climb up sky to magic islands. Shall we climb up the sky today, darling? Yeah, yeah. Shall we do it now? Yeah, yeah. Now, 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 now. I'm whisked up as on a magic carpet. Flying, flying, hurrah, flying, flying. And deposited on the lowest tread of the stairs. I've never climbed the stairs before, but now I will. Today, now. Hodier, hodier. For it is today, now, that I am holding her hand, and that we are full of optimism and joy. For the only time that the primary reality knows is now. Up we go. Whee! Up to one, up to two, up to one. Whee! To the magic islands in the sky. Whee! The stairs are Everest, and I am Sir Edmund Hillary. No matter that it's fully fifteen years before Sir Edmund will conquer Everest, no matter, for the primary reality is always now. Holy, holy, wee, up to three, up to four, wee, to the magic islands in the sky, up to daisy, all fall down, London Bridge is falling down, falling down, falling down, oh, London Bridge falling down. My fair lady, my fair lady. I love you, I love you, I love you, I adore you, I adore you. And we shall live in suspended bliss in the gardens of the sky. And we shall make love forever in the magic islands of the sky. Oh, my fair lady. This is Sir Edmund Hillary, halfway up Everest, giving a message to the world. You ask me, world, why I am performing this stupendous feat. Well, world, I will tell you, because it is there. That is why, because it is there. One more step, darling, up to six, up to seven, and then mummy pick you up and carry you all the way to the top. Hooray, we're here. The magic island's in the sky. Why, these are garments that were so lately soiled and now fresh and new and hark. Listen to the heavenly music. Mmm, mmm, mmm. Where's my soul, the king of heaven? The eye is full of noises, sounds and sweet airs that charm the ear and hurt not. For look you, be not amazed, the magic islands in the sky are, it turns out, our very own garden, at the back of Pear Tree Cottage. There's Peter, and there is the tree, for is this not what the mystics teach? And the primary reality not only is now, always and forever now, but here is always and forever here. And here are violets for you and pale primroses. And in summer you shall have hot marigolds. Loving and being loved, entering and being entered. And is not this kitchen made as goddess-like pranked out? I love you, I love you, I love you. Bliss, bliss, together, together. Loving and being loved, entering and being entered in the Devon of the Doggies, in the Magic Islands, in the Gardens of the Sky. Look, Mummy, I'm asleep. Go to sleep, Buttercup. I am asleep. You can't be. Otherwise, you wouldn't be talking about it. I'm asleep and talking about it. Go to sleep. Mummy, I'm dreaming. What are you dreaming about? 
I'm dreaming about you. About me? Yeah. What am I doing? You're having breakfast with God. I'm having breakfast with God? Yeah. What are we having for breakfast? You're having sausages and bacon and God's having porridge. Why is God having porridge? God likes porridge. He made world out of it. He didn't make the world out of porridge, Tudor. Yeah, he did. You told me. I said he made the world out of nothing, darling. What's nothing? Nothing? Yeah. Hmm, you can't explain. What's it like, nothing? Nothing? It's like nothing. It's like itself. No, that can't be right. What's it most like, then? Oh, all right. Porridge. Told you. Sausages and bacon, sausages and bacon, sleepy, sleepy baby, sausages and bacon. I'm going to sleep now, Mummy. Oh, good. Mummy? Yes, Petal? Will you take me with you next time you'll have breakfast with God? Of course I will, darling. You and me and God will all have breakfast together. Good night, Mummy. Good night, Mr. Honey. The kitchen was by far my favourite room. It was a laboratory of sense experience. There was the royal imperial yellow splendour of custard, especially when it had set and gone thick. There were crispy hot carmine and magenta radishes, veined turquoise savoy cabbages, astringent pinks of rhubarb, shining yellow, spilling over and spit-sided with laughter-baked apples, cheerful jolly red carrots, white and mysterious, soft as flesh mushrooms, acidic lettuce greens, and intensely shining jet black blackberry backs. Matisse had a field day in our kitchen. He had a pretty good go at the smells, too. You floated high on the scents of crispy new bread, and the smells of frying bacon reached such peaks of deliciousness that when you entered the kitchen on one of the rare days that there was bacon, the victory at El Alamein and the Feast of the Transfiguration are examples. You were daydreaming, thinking about giants or doggies perhaps, and then you turned the handle of the kitchen door and opened it. Well, it was as if momentarily in this world of half-lights and compromises, the nose had fleetingly found the complete object of its appetites. Day followed day in a never-ending now, our kettle whistled when it began to boil, like the royal Scot entering a tunnel. Spam and occasionally bacon spat and sizzled in the frying pan. Barley water always simmering on the hob, as it was my mother's sovereign remedy for all ills, plopped and gobbled. In summer, swallows twitted below the eaves. Rumours of war came floating through the open door, wafted in and sweetened upon tides of wallflower and lavender scent. So it had been forever, and so would it ever be. All was well with this realm. I was even more delighted with the snowy winter of 1942. First of all, there were the frosts. You woke in the morning to find that during the night the frost had performed its secret ministry on hushed and silent feet. 
Jack Frost had been round flitting swiftly and stealthily from window to window, doing stunning jats and pollocks on the panes. Your breath had become amazingly visible, the ectoplasm of a dragon. Grass heads were gloved and thickly encrusted in myriads of tiny shining pearls. The ground rang like bicycle bells. Gates and fences sparkled like foaming mugs of Andrew's river salts. Trees were become ghostly graceful ballet dancers. Ponds and puddles had been transmuted into shining chunks of solid light. Then, as gently and imperceptibly and self-effacing as the frost, came the snow. You thought the custard was good, said God. Just watch this. This amazing magical substance, the very stuff of transfiguration, had all been manufactured at a place called Stalingrad. They had huge factories there, where they worked day and night to make sure that they had enough snow to send to England. Chunter, 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 went the machines in the snow factories. Chuck, 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 went the engines drawing the snow trains. Whoosh, screamed the trains as they flew through the alpine tunnels with their wonderful, upliftingly precious, incandescently chased cargo. The snow was the beginning of the world. She looked out of the back door at the unsolid and unbroken purity of the beginnings. Its integrity rendered even more pristine by the mysterious tracks of a bird's foot. Then, braving yourself to mouthfuls of freezing air, you opened the door and took a step. The first man taking the first footsteps at the beginning of the world. The transformations brought about by the snow were of indescribable wonder. The multicolored, millioned manifold of the world returned to its original white unity. Everywhere there were fantastic shapes. Everything was hung with a hushed and heavy silence. Shh! God is thinking. Pam and I made a snowman. He was called Billy. We gave him a trilby and an old pipe that we found in the roof attic. Billy was grateful for these and laughed uproariously when we threw snowballs at him. Then, some days later, he began to melt. Gradually and with dignity, weeping silent tears in great slow and heavy drops. But by that time, I'd lastly forgotten about him. Like most of our neighbours, we had no inside toilet. The Maxwells, very nice class of refined people, they've got an inside toilet. I later heard my mother say, as she laid plans for a long-term strategy designed to promote identification with a higher grade of the social order. Instead, we had a privy at the end of the garden. This privy was a place of unimaginable horror and darkness. I could not be brought to enter it and had to be sustained by a potty long after I should by rights have progressed along the royal road from nappy to potty to throne. Mercifully, my mother had never heard of Freud anyway at that time, let me be. The privy was inhabited by terrible demons, 
spiders and rats and man-eating snakes and nameless shapes of dreadful darkness. Worst of all, it was the abode of Hitler. I sought to warn the adults of the risks they ran and the dangers that they might encounter on entering this place. Like Jeremiah, mourning over Jerusalem, I lamented their folly with loud wails and cries. But their habitual levity of mind and hardness of heart had made them blind. They continued to dally with the forces of darkness fecklessly, and entering the privy with cheerful countenance was sometimes even to be heard within it singing. I heard my mother singing, Praise my soul, the King of Heaven, and Uncle Gladstone, who came to visitors, sang Rule Britannia, and then, abruptly ceasing, a sudden sadness, having gripped him perhaps in the midst of his motions, changed in mid-Britain's never-never to smoke gets in your eyes. As they would not heed my prophecies, I didn't know what to do, and gradually grew more and more anxious. Eventually, a dreadful sense of vocation came upon me. To save them from a terrible and as yet unknown fate, I myself must enter the privy and kill Hitler. For days I shook and trembled at this prospect. My mother grew worried about my pallor and took me to the doctor for a tonic, tall bottle, green liquid, nasty taste. At last I knew that the heroic action could be put off no longer. It was a still day of summer, and propitious the valiant deeds, in that my mother was inside our cottage entertaining Mrs. Rodber, a large, hearty lady of flurried countenance and cultured accent, who went round the village several times a year to visit the poor in their dwellings and shout patronising phrases of encouragement at them. Since my mother was a conservative voter and a fervent admirer of Anthony Eden and did not regard herself as poor, she was furious. Only the corner of an eye was being kept on me in the garden. I retired to my jungle house, partly to plan my campaign, partly to prepare for my ordeal by prayer, like the knight kneeling before the altar in the Watts painting, and partly to preempt the possibility of Mrs. Rodber emerging from the house to invade my personal exclusion zone and shout, How is dear little Johnny? right in my face. Perhaps getting my name wrong was a subtle way of putting us down. I kept as still as I could for a long time. Suddenly the moment came, yelling like a samurai warrior. I charged across the garden, uttering piercing cries. Translated by a berserk, my fear transformed into fury. I flung back the door of the privy, shouting, I hate you, Hitler! The sight that met my astonished gaze was that of Mrs. Rodber sitting on the privy, skirts hitched above her knees, corsets eased, bloomers fallen about her ankles. For a long time we stared at each other, spellbound, as wildy beasts must meet the eye of lion in an eternity of total and terrible revelation. Then her white face turned to crimson and she gave a great roar. I fled, I cowered behind the tree. Some seconds later, with clothing readjusted and superior manner resumed, Mrs. Rodber emerged from the privy. She stalked into the house, and from within it I could hear voices raised in anger, retribution and resentment. Mrs. Rodber never darkened our door again. What astonishes me is that she should have been using our privy at all. Had she been taken short, motions of the bowel are a great leveller. 
Or had she sought to score a double moral whammy by at one blow proving to herself her love of the poor even unto using their privies and at the same time embarrassing my mother who forever afterwards will be forced to anticipate her visits by purifying the privy to unheard-of levels of cleanliness? My mother laughed for a week. <laughs>